Welcome to The Brunch Club, a podcast brought to you by three dietetic and nutrition students and future dietitians who are true foodies at heart. Meet your hosts, Jenny, Stacy, and Hannah, who spit nothing but the truth around health and nutrition. We are excited to provide you with body-positive, anti-diet culture, and non-restrictive health facts and tips. Join us with your cup of coffee or glass of mimosa and get ready to listen to us chew away nutrition myths, discuss hot topics, and share our journeys to becoming registered dietitians. Let's brunch! We are so thankful you decided to join us for episode four of The Brunch Club. Today, we are very grateful to Jenny, one of the brunchers, who is a senior in the dietetic and nutrition program, and she's also a type one diabetic. So in this episode, she's going to be talking to you about her own personal experience with type one diabetes, managing her blood sugar, and really what it looks like to live a day in her life as a type one diabetic and dietetic and nutrition student. And even if you are not a diabetic yourself and don't necessarily know someone who is, this episode can be very educational for you. I learned a lot and I know you will too. Remember to share if you're listening on your Instagram story or any other social media platform. Tag us and we'll definitely respond. And then be sure to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. We thank you so very much for joining us and we really hope you enjoy. Okay, so we have... Jenny here, who's going to be answering some questions for us that um, a lot of our listeners had and questions even that I had. So before we get into the questions, uh, Jenny, what is your diabetes story? I am type one diabetic and I was diagnosed when I was eight years old. And prior to that, a lot of craziness was going on and it was just very confusing, stressful time. Um, because half the time I constantly felt like I needed to go to the bathroom. So I was always like, I mean, imagine being like an eight-year-old, like, mom, I need to go to the bathroom. Like anytime we left the house, it was like, and it was 10 times during like an hour, I'd be like, I have to go, I have to go, I have to go. And when I would go, I didn't like pee. And my mom's like, I don't get it. Like you bugged the crap out of me to go to the bathroom with you. And now you're not going to the bathroom. So that was just that at first. I was like, okay. Um, then it was just constantly tired. Like I was always tired. I remember one time, um, I had gone to Disney with my cousins and we had just gotten there and I was like sitting down and I'm like, I'm tired. Can we take a break? And my parents were like, are you okay? Like we just got here. You're tired. We're at Disney world. Like, why are you not like, let's go. Like my cousins were all like, come on, let's go like running around. And I just was like, Yeah. And I was just like, no, I'm so tired. And so that was a little weird, but still not like weird enough yet. Then I remember one time I had the worst migraine in my entire life to the point where I was like crying so hard from like the pain of like the headache. Like I literally like went to sleep crying and my parents like didn't get it. They were just probably like, oh, you just probably have like a really bad headache. Like they gave me medicine, but they were like, it's going to pass. Like you're fine. Um, So then there was that and all these things, you know, just kept going. Oh, an extreme thirst. Like I was always thirsty. I was always begging for water or like trying to drink water to like an excessive amount. And then of course, you know, drinking so much water and then being like, I can't go to the bathroom, like, or wanting to having the feeling to go to the bathroom, but not actually going was just like, just 
the last straw basically for my parents. They were like, all right, what is going on? So I remember them up in the middle of the night complaining about the same things, you know, um, like I'm like, I'm thirsty, I'm this, my head hurts and like just all these things. And mom was like, you know what? This has been going on for like a month now. Like we're going to an urgent care because I don't get it anymore. Wow. So we went to the urgent care and that in the night, of the they night were, you guys went. Yeah. We just wow. like, just went. Cause mom was like, this is just not, it doesn't add up. She's like, I don't get it. And, um, they were like, okay, just based on my symptoms, they're like, we think she might be diabetic, but we have to do, you know, do a blood test just to make sure we did the blood test. My blood sugar was like 500 something. Oh which my is gosh. Crazy. Cause if you're not in familiar the middle with- of the night. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Jenny, it was poor thing. So, yeah. It was so crazy. So, and if you're not familiar with like the normal range, typically it's between 70 to 120 for a normal person. So 500 is like, you know, insane. Um, wow. So of course that's why I was feeling sick and everything. And then they were like, all right. So they tested my blood sugar and they were like, it's really high. Um, she needs to go see an endocrinologist and, you know, do more tests just to like really make sure. And we're going to like, you know, get, re- recommend one for you. And you guys can like go Monday. Cause I think that was like a Saturday. Um, and so, yep. Monday I went and I spent like three days at the hospital. Um, oh yeah, just learning everything. And, you know, I saw a dietitian and I learned how to count carbs, read a food label, how to inject insulin, how to, you know, measure out your medication. It's just a lot. So that all took three days just to learn and, and get used to. Were your parents there and throughout the learning process with you? Like they had to be taught too, I imagine, because you were eight. Right. Yeah. So I was first um, on insulin shots. That's like the first thing that I was put on and I had to learn. So it was funny because once I was learning how to do it, I was terrified to give myself the shot. Like I wasn't terrified of the shot. Like I was fine getting the shot, but I didn't want to do it to myself. So I remember the doctor had me practice on my parents. Oh like, my gosh. <laughs> had me like grab the shot and was like, just, you know, do it to your parents and, and like inject, it was like just saline, um, or salt water for those that aren't familiar with saline. Um, and I just injected it with, with, to them. And I was like, okay, that wasn't that bad. But when it came to like me doing myself, like I was like, oh my God, no, I can't do this. So I really did not inject insulin to myself for a very, very, very long time until, I'll be quite honest until I was mm, like 18 and I was wow. diagnosed when I was eight so years old. Your mom was having to do it or your parents were having to do it for you. Yes. Yeah. They did it for me. Um, and then once I was in fifth grade, so I was probably like 10 years old, I switched over to a pump and the pump is a lot easier to manage. Um, and with that, like there's, um, when you're injecting the needle portion of the pump, it comes on like a, like a little clicker. So you just like pull it back and you just press a button and it automatically shoots for you. So like, for me, like that was like more, I felt more safe with the needle. It's like, you actually have to like grab it yourself, you know, and like actually press through your skin. So like, I don't know why I was so terrified of that. (laughs) I would have had a panic attack because I'm, um, afraid of like needles and stuff. Now it's obviously better, but when I was younger, forget it. I, I think God only knows what would have happened to me. Obviously, I would have had to overcome that, but I can't even imagine being a child and having a medical professional be like, you're going to have to give yourself shots. I'd be like, no, that's, that's fine. 
We're going to leave yeah. my blood sugar at 500. <laughs> I can't figure out a way. <laughs> don't worry. There'll be another um, way. <laughs> yeah. No, for some reason, I don't know why, but like, I just remember like accepting it all like pretty well. Like, I just remember like being like, oh, I have to give myself shots. Okay. Oh, I have to uh, check my blood sugar five times a day. Like, okay. Like I wasn't as like, and I think it's just because I didn't comprehend it as much as a kid, you know, because like right. now growing up when I talk to other people that had been diagnosed when they were older, they were like, they have a totally different like story. Basically. They're like, just like, I can't believe like this, like I had to change my whole life. And I'm like, I don't know. I was just kind of like, I guess this is what I have to do. So this is what I have to do. I don't know. It's just weird. Right. Like in a way it seems worse that you were younger, but maybe it was better because you were able to it, it became like your new normal. Right. Like I was already yeah. so young that like, I mean, eight years old, like I, at this point, I can't even recall like living without it. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. You said a lot of things in there that I know people are going to be having questions about, like um, the usage of the pump and then of course the insulin injection and things like that. And um, I didn't stop you to ask you about them because they're actually incorporated in some of the listener questions that we have written down. Um, so if you have questions and you are a listener, never fear, we will be answering them now that we're jumping into the content. Let's start with the first question, which is probably the most basic, and that is what is diabetes? Okay. So there are um, multiple types of diabetes. There's type one diabetes, which is what I said at the beginning I was diagnosed with. And there's also type two diabetes that you might've heard um, a lot of older people get diagnosed with, or maybe like a grandparent. A lot of times growing up, people would be like, oh my God, you're diabetic. My grandpa has that. And it would always be like <laughs> type two diabetes. I'm like, yeah, mine's a little different, but yes, it's, it's basically the same thing in a sense. But with type one diabetes, it's an autoimmune disease. And basically what happens is the immune system attacks and destroys the cells created in the pancreas, which leads to no product or no production of insulin. Therefore with type one, it's sometimes genetic, but most of the time there hasn't been a solid answer as to why, you know, you develop type one. It's kind of like that with most autoimmune diseases. I think like the people are still trying to figure out, is it genetic? Is it, what is it? Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. With type two, same. Some of it can be genetic and type two usually happens when the body becomes more resistant to insulin. So you're still producing insulin in your pancreas. You're just not producing enough to cover for the amount of carbs that you're ingesting, right? So more sugar is building up in your blood. Okay. So type two can be described as insulin resistant. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Type two is more insulin resistant. That's why a lot of times type two, you take like oral medication, right? Because right. you still have your, your pancreas that's producing insulin with type one. That's why you have to take shots because that's the only way you're going to be able to have that hormone that you need to balance uh, your blood sugar and remove right. the sugar from the blood. System. Right. Which is insulin. Right. Okay. So this next question, I think you um, pretty much answered it, but is it hereditary? Yeah. So personally, I remember I asked the doctor, like, you know, how did I get this? Why did I get this? What did I do? And he told me, if, do you know anyone in your family that's had this before? And while type two diabetes does run in my family, they couldn't say that because of type two diabetes running in my family, that's why like I possibly got type one, but there are some, you know, genetic things that can come into play um, with type two, especially I feel just because with type two, you know, 
a lot of different factors come into play, whether it's um, like health wise, what, what you were eating, like there's just so many different things that can come into play with it. But overall, I would say it's not, yeah, completely relied on your, you know, your family history and everything, but it could come into play. Right. I think with type two also, you could be um, like predisposed to developing it, um, like compared to someone else. So then you would just have to um, be mindful of your lifestyle choices as far as your uh, dietary habits and your physical activity habits, um, especially as you age. And that's talking about type two diabetes that a lot of um, people uh, develop when they're older. And then also another thing is pre-diabetes. This is kind of going off off script, if you, if we could say so. Pre-diabetes, that's kind of new for people, yeah. for medical professionals to recognize that as yeah. um, something to to inform their patients of, right? Yeah, no, for sure. I had never heard of pre-diabetes until I want to say it was like the beginning of my college I had heard the term prediabetes. I'm like, what is this? And basically if they test the control of your blood sugar through something called an A1C, which is a blood test that tells that gives them like an average number of how your blood sugar is in a spam of three months. So with that, when they're testing for prediabetes, they do check to see like if maybe in your family history, someone had diabetes, or if you have other complications like heart disease or high cholesterol, uh, high blood pressure, those things can come to play also. And then with that A1C, if it's hitting a level that's already out of like normal range, they can start saying like, oh, you might be pre-diabetic, right? Because now they're seeing that for some reason, you're not maintaining normal uh, blood glucose. And like you said, a lot of it has to be, comes into play with, you know, lifestyle factors um, and being mindful of our exercise and our eating patterns. Right. And for anyone interested, anything higher than 5.5 on that A1C test is considered pre-diabetic. And if your doctor tells you that you're pre-diabetic, you can change that. You can reverse that. hundred percent. But if you, yep. if you do not work to try and change that, then uh, there is an extremely high chance that you will become type two uh, diabetic. So that's yes. just something to keep in mind. So um, health professionals are realizing now that there is a range that indicates if someone is more likely to become uh, diabetic, there's like a little range before you're fully diabetic that shows that your uh, blood glucose is a little bit out of whack and that you have to make a, a few changes. So right. that range is is anything above Uh, 5.5, I believe. Okay, so the third question is very interesting, and I think a lot of people are curious about this. Um, The question is, are simple carbs like rice or maybe starchy vegetables or fruits bad to consume as a diabetic? So I see this one a lot. I constantly have people ask me that as well, like, oh, so you can't eat rice or you can't eat um, potatoes. You can't have too much sugar. And that's actually not the case at all. The key is that we have to be more mindful and know our portions more um, and have better just control over how much we are consuming. But that doesn't mean that you need to just cut it off cold turkey. Not at all. Um, It's actually good to have, you know, starchy vegetables in anyone's diet. And the fruit thing, oh my God, I hear this all the time. And I was watching this show and I was so annoyed because this celebrity, I'm not even going to name her name, but she said- She's not worthy to be named. Exactly. No, 
<laughs> she said during the show that, oh my gosh, I didn't know bananas were high in carbohydrates. And I was like, oh my God. okay. Like in my head, I'm just like, why did she say that? She's like, oh my God, I just learned something new. And she kind of said it in this tone, like I have to avoid bananas now. And oh it's like, gosh. no, 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 oh no. Like not at all. Like I think people get so freaked out because yeah, bananas do contain, especially if you're eating like a large banana, it's close to like 30 grams of carbs. And that does seem like a big number, but I mean- you can still have it and you can still right. fit, fit it into your diet for sure. Right. There's it's not like I, eating like a large slice of birthday cake. Like the banana has vitamins and minerals. Exactly. And, um, other nutrients. The world isn't all about carbohydrates. <laughs> yes. No. Yeah, for sure. So the next question is uh, kind of similar and it is, can diabetics eat candy? Yes. You can have candy. You can have every kind of sugar out there. Sugar is not the cause or overconsumption of sugar is not the cause of diabetes. And I feel like people think that a lot of times. I mean, I remember growing up, people were like, oh, did you eat a lot of sugar? Like, is that why you're diabetic? And I'm like, no. So I feel like people equate that to, oh, diabetics can't have candy. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, nothing is off limits for a diabetic. And that includes candy. Um, Even though candy does have a lot of sugar, and is often noted as something that is quote unquote unhealthy. Um, Diabetics can definitely enjoy candy. Just be mindful of the portion size you're having and being mindful of your blood sugar after consuming the candy is also very important. In the past, I've been also recommended to choose sugar-free alternatives to candy. And personally, I did not enjoy the taste. They taste very, they have a funny aftertaste to it. And also sometimes you have to look at the food label because sometimes you're really not, you know, it's not really less in carbs than the regular candy you wanted in the first place. So just always compare the two. I I wouldn't tell you ever to choose the sugar-free one over the regular one. I'll always say to choose the one you truly want um, because it's just not good for us to restrict ourselves even as a diabetic. Right. And I want to talk a little bit, this is also going off of the listener questions, but I feel like it's important. Sugary beverages versus sugary foods. What is the difference in the impact on your blood sugar? Yeah. uh, Sugary beverages to me spikes up your blood sugar very fast. It's, it enters the bloodstream very quick. And then sugary food can also spike your blood sugar quite fast, but it just really depends on what it is. Right. Because I know like Sometimes I'll have like a piece of cake and I'm like, wow, my blood sugar is doing great. And then like an hour later, it's like, whoop, it's super high. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> what the heck just happened? But then I can have like some, like a sugary beverage and my blood sugar is instantly up. So I just also, again, I think it's very individualized to your body and how your body responds to it. I feel like diabetes is a big, just giant science food experiment. You're just (laughs) constantly like, okay, well, my body didn't like that, or I need to change this. To me, the way I view how I consume things is I allow myself to have anything and everything. I just concentrate more on being mindful of how much of it I'm going to have and staying on top of my blood sugar once I do have it. Okay. Because what I have heard and what I have learned is that when you're eating a food, not necessarily like a piece of cake, but 
I don't know, for example, like a fruit or something that contains a bit of like fiber and, uh, and other things, it, mm-hmm. it doesn't spike your blood sugar as quickly because it takes, yes. there's other things that you're <laughs> in it that your body has to digest. Right. Um, and so it yeah, sort yeah. of slows the, um, process it does, of the yeah. sugar. Yeah. Yeah, it does. If it's something that ha- contains fiber, typically, yes, it, it takes a while for it to actually digest and it actually is better for you because if you're giving yourself insulin, then it allows the insulin to catch up with the food. So it kind of like maintains your blood sugar level versus um, something that's just like straight table sugar. Right. Cause if it's liquid, then it's, it's just liquid. And so it's right. sh- I mean, even juices and like, we kind of talked about this in the previous podcast with Dr. Rivera about how store-bought juices um, often contain higher amounts of sugar compared to juices that you make by yourself. But then of course, making it by yourself is pretty expensive because you have to have yeah. like 15 oranges for a cup of orange yeah. juice. So if it's liquid um, for the listeners, just think about your body not having to break down anything. Because if the main component of the beverage is sugar, which oftentimes it is, um, then that's going to be absorbed into your bloodstream very quickly. So it'll spike your blood sugar real high. And then your blood sugar will also suddenly drop a few hours later. It's, it's kind of a little bit different with certain foods containing fiber, like Jenny said. So you mentioned um, when answering the last two questions relating to food and diabetes that you have to be more mindful. So what does that look like for you, aside from just making sure you don't have like three pieces of cake instead of one at a birthday party on on your day-to-day life, what does that look like for you when planning out your your plate? When I plan out my plate, I like to focus on two to three things. Typically my first two are, am I, do I have some sort of protein on my plate? And two, do I have some sort of fiber on my plate? And I never, ever, ever, ever eliminate carbs. Like there is an amount of carb on there. Like I try to have, whether it's a side of sweet potatoes or, um, a side of rice, like I, I do add it, but my two major things are fiber and protein because I have been able to manage my diabetes better if I have a well-balanced meal and it incorporates the fiber like we were just talking about because that levels out your blood sugar and the protein as well just really helps also with keeping you full, satiated and out your blood sugar. I think people assume that if you're diabetic, you have to have special diabetic foods. You can't eat carbs. Um, and that your diet has to totally change compared to the average individual. It seems to me after speaking to you, which has confirmed things that I've learned that it really is your plate really is encouraged to look like that of everyone else's. Exactly. I think when you first get diagnosed, they really push all these ideas of, um, you know, eating lower carb and, really sticking to strict portion sizes or really sticking to whatever the food label says. And I think it's good at first because it teaches you a lot about portion sizes and how much to eat and how much to give yourself of medication based on what you ate. At first, you know, it's really important to kind of follow those guidelines in regards of measuring things, reading the labels, learning how to read the label and being kind of more strict. I think the issue is then we get stuck on that strictness. We feel like we need that. Once you learn how to read a nutrition label, how to count your carbs and put the correct amount of medication 
based on how much you ate and learn to find foods that work well with you and balance your blood sugars, then you no longer have to really follow that rigid diet or that rigid um, schedule that sometimes they give you. Because sometimes they tell you like, eat at this time, snack at this time. And you're like, oh my God, like my life is controlled. Like you feel so restrictive and controlled. Mm -hmm. But I think it's just because they want you to learn and they want you to see how things work in your body. And then once you do, like, you know, I feel like you can just break free and then kind of experiment on your own, see what works for you best. But I feel like overall, you can follow the same diet as anybody else, as long as you, at the end of the day, you're mindful and you're, and you pay attention to your glucose. Yeah. And I think it, it's really no different than anyone else in the sense that we all, when trying to figure out how to manage our overall health, regardless of what condition we have or don't have, a nutrition is very individualized. So what yeah. works for me um, was different for someone else. It's kind of like how we talked about in the first episode, like how do we feel about counting calories? And we kind of mentioned that, you know, it, it has a place, um, but it's definitely not a forever thing. Yeah. Um, and it, it can be helpful if you're really trying to figure out what works for you, but then eventually you know what you eat um, throughout right. the week. Maybe you, you don't necessarily have to eat the same thing all the time, but you're mm. not going to go from one extreme to the next. So you kind of get into a little routine and eventually you can eyeball it and you know how things make your body feel. And right. um, you get to know yourself, you get to know your your habits, your routines, and you don't have to measure everything for the rest of your life. You can you can eyeball it and you can know really how you feel when you eat certain things. Yeah, it's just taking it more as like a educational opportunity because we are not trained to eat, you know, based on a food label growing up, right? Nobody right. is. So I just want to ask before we jump into the other questions, what are some foods that contain fiber? that you really like, that you would recommend to um, other people? Foods that contain fiber that I love. I would definitely say like any type of legume, like chickpeas, lentils, black beans. Beans are like one of my favorites just because they're just, again, like we've said this before, but I'm obsessed with like bowls, right? So like those are just yeah. quick, <laughs> easy things to add into a bowl. So I like those a lot and they're easy to like modify and and just switch into basically anything like a wrap. There you go. You have it. You want a salad, add the beans. Like it's just easy. Um, right. Other things that contain fiber that I really, really like are Brussels sprouts. I love Brussels sprouts. <laughs> People um, are like, no. <laughs> I know. I, I'm just like crazy about, bro I don't know. I'm on a Brussels sprout kick. Sometimes I get like these kicks with vegetables. <laughs> like I was on like a broccoli and cauliflower kick for the longest. And then it's like, then I get tired of it. Then I find a new one right now. It's Brussels sprouts. So I'm just obsessed. <laughs> Mine um, are carrots, if anyone cares. Yeah, see, like I, I used to have a carrot kick too. <laughs> I'd be obsessed. Like I just ate it all the time. Other things like whole wheat pastas or like pastas made with um, beans, like the chickpea pasta, like bonza, like that type of thing. Yeah, yeah. Love that. Love, love, love those. Because it's just easy to get your fiber in, get your whole grains in. Pasta, who like, come on. Pasta is just great. I love pasta. Everyone loves but there's, pasta. I know. Pasta is so yummy. Um, oh, and another really good one is chia seeds. Um, and I love them in like, I put them in smoothies. I put them in my oatmeal and I feel like they really, really help me, especially they help me not only stay full for a long time, because especially when we were 
you know, on campus, sometimes our classes would overlap into lunch, right? So I feel oh like, gosh, yeah. yeah, whenever I added like chia seeds to like my breakfast, like either smoothie or oatmeal or whatever the heck I was eating, I felt like I could at least wait until like that class was over to like be like, okay, I can eat again. Yeah, it holds you over and that's the yeah. fiber. Um, yeah. It really, because it takes things that take longer to digest <laughs> that are more complex um, will take take longer to um, digest and keep you fuller for a longer period of time. Okay, so moving on to the next couple of questions, which are a little bit more diabetes-centered and not as like diabetes and nutrition. Okay, so the next one is, do insulin shots hurt? You know, they really don't. I think everyone freaks out because you think of a shot and for some reason you think of this like five inch long needle and you're like, <laughs> oh my God, it's going to hurt. It's so long, but it's not. These shots, like they have like perfected the needles because they know like diabetics are, you know, taking multiple shots a day sometimes. So right. these are like ultra fine, super tiny, like not even, not even half an inch, like super tiny that you don't feel them unless you accidentally hit okay. like a bad spot. But oh, for Lord. the most <laughs> for the most part, like 90% of the time, you don't feel it. They don't hurt and, and you get used to it. Okay. Yeah. I was going to ask, do you just get used to it? Yeah, yeah. I imagine. Yeah. Um, the next question then is what is it like having an insulin pump and how exactly does it work? Um, I love being on an insulin pump. I think it gives you a lot of freedom. Insulin pump does everything for you. And what I mean with that is it's basically like your pancreas, like you aren't like pulling up your calculator while you're having breakfast to calculate how much insulin you have to have because your pump does it for you. It holds all the calculations that you need to do for you. Um, and the pump I have right now is connected to a CGM, which is a continuous glucose monitor. So it's basically checking my blood glucose like all day long, 24 hours a day. And if it's high, it notifies me. If it's low, it notifies me. So it's like, I still have to check my blood sugar um, a couple times during the day just to make sure like it's picking up the right thing and calibrate it and making sure it's like in tuned with what it actually is according to my finger. Um, but for the most part, like, it's just kind of like I can go out about my day and, you know, do whatever and not have to like have my diabetes, like be on my mind 24 seven, you know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. So basically how it works, it's, um, connected to you and you wear it for three days and it's connected by like a little patch looking thing. Some pumps are different, but mine is like a, it looks like a, like a little sticker patch. And then, um, it has a little tubing that connects it to what they call like the cannula, which is where like it stores the insulin and you just go on it and you put the amount of carbs you ate for the day and what your blood glucose was and it automatically does all the work for you. And do you have to do that with every meal? Yes. You have to do that with every meal, every snack, anything that basically is going to have carbs that might affect, that's going to have an effect in your blood sugar. You do have to um, like inject or um, a, when you have a pump, you call it bolus for it. And then how does um, having a pump work while you're sleeping? I laugh because it vibrates a lot at night. So it it's like, it's interesting. <laughs> 
And, but you, you honestly get used to it. You know, a lot of people ask me that they're like, how do you sleep with something like attached to you? I forget it's there. Like when it starts vibrating in the middle of the night, I'm like half asleep, like feeling all over my freaking bed, trying to find this thing. I'm like, where is that? Oh my God. Like, I don't know where it's at. Um, and then I finally find it and I just like turn it off or check it to see what the heck it's trying to let me know. Honestly, it, you don't, it doesn't feel like, like you're laying on top of something. You know what I mean? It doesn't feel mm-hmm. like it's like, um, like it's in your way or anything. You kind of just okay. like, just kind of does its own thing and you're just, yeah, you just get used to it again. Like a lot of it. Yeah. I was wondering, I mean, you know, I guess if somebody has not been through something or they're not experiencing something, they're like, how can you live like that? But you've been going yeah. through this and through so for so long that you're like, yeah, it's attached to me and it just floats around in the middle of the night. I mean, honestly. So it it notifies you, it vibrates to notify you um, of any changes in your blood glucose then? Yes. Like if it's trending high, it will notify me. If it's trending low, it will notify me. So um, it vibrates. I have slept through the vibration part of it. And then it starts beeping like crazy. Like I feel anyone would wake up if they had to hear that because it's like the craziest alarm in the world. I mean, which is good. Like you want that, but I'm like, oh my God. Right. <laughs> like, but and that's if um, it's getting too low. Both low and high. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It lets when you know. Sleeping, that's, that's yeah. Fun. Yeah. It, it is crazy. But I feel like, well, for me, um, before I had the pump n- notify me because the pump I had before this did not do that. I had to like prick my finger like multiple times a day. I would wake up out of my sleep and feel my blood sugar dropping. And it sounds bizarre and it sounds so crazy, but you get really in tuned with your body with diabetes. I feel like you really start to recognize when you start feeling, I used used to be able to tell you like this, oh, my blood sugar is trending high. I mean, I still can't, and I can still feel like when it's trending low. So sometimes I catch it even before my pump even tells me, then I look down, I'm like, oh, it's starting to go low but you just wow. really get in tune with the feelings. Like, and it's a hard feeling to describe because people are like, what does it feel like when you're going low? It just feels like, I almost want to say like, you just feel like general weakness all over your body and right. kind of like cold sweats, like that type of feeling to it. And almost like when it's really, really low, you feel like you're about to like pass out and it's like a different type of pass out. And I always tell people that they're like, what do you mean? Like when you pass out, you just pass out. No, like it's like a certain feeling that you get that you're like, okay, this is, I'm about to pass out, but it's because my blood sugar is dropping that type of thing. Um, and then when it's high, I just get like a specific type of headache and I get nauseous if it's super high. Um, and it's happened in the past. So a couple of times. So yeah, you just really get in tune with your body. So that's always interesting. I've experienced um, uh, the feeling of being very close to fainting due to low levels of blood sugar. Like I can also, I'm not diabetic, but I can also tell um, if my blood sugar is dropping. And I've told that to people before, like, oh my God, I feel like I'm going to faint because my blood sugar is low. And they're like, what? You know, you're, what like, does that do you even know? mean? <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean? What does that mean? Like, <laughs> you don't feel yeah. that too? It's, I don't know. Yeah, I know. I, I've, I've, heard from many, even other diabetics they've been like I don't I don't feel that like they've literally wow. told, I don't feel that like they don't feel it until it gets really really bad um that's dangerous but yeah it's super dangerous um a lot of older people too I know my grandma she's like I don't feel anything she doesn't feel when it's high she doesn't feel when it's low and I'm like grandma how do you wow. not I'm like you don't feel like this like I try to describe it the best way I can and she's like no 
I don't. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> and that's another concern with, uh, I think more specifically, the older population of diabetics are diabetic comas. So can you talk yes. a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, I thank God I've never been in a situation like that or um, close to a situation like that, but diabetic comas can happen um, both if your blood sugar gets insanely high or extremely low, you know, you can fall into diabetic ketoacidosis or DKA. And usually it happens more to type one diabetics than type two. And basically what happens is you have a really high buildup of ketones to a dangerous level. It's so bad that your body just shuts down and eventually, you know, organs can shut down. So um, it's really scary. And for me, for example, I have something called glucagon, which is what helps you come back from having such a low. Basically, it just, just re-gives you like glucose into your bloodstream, but in a way that it acts fast, right? So, but that's that's if you catch it before you actually get into like a coma because comas, they're really scary. And um I remember I, I knew a girl that had a diabetic coma and she was in the hospital for like two days with it. And then she finally like was able to come back and it was mm. quite scary with the glucagon. It's just an injection. And then hopefully you have someone near you that can inject it for you because you're passed out. So it's always like scary sometimes to think about right. like, you know, how there can be moments where you're by yourself and you might not have like the help that you might need. Um, so I always like when I talk right. to other people that are diabetic, I'm like, make sure whoever you live with knows the symptoms of like when you're going low, um, because I feel like we all kind of show different symptoms. I know I get really pale and I get shaky and really like sometimes like angry. It's really weird. It's like, I started getting like really like antsy, angry. And some people exhibit like, I, I know someone told me the other day, like, oh, I feel like I show off, like I'm drunk, I'm confused. And I'm just all kind of like loopy. And it's just their way. Yeah. Their way of their body reacting. So it's really important that like, if you are diabetic, you notify other people, like how you, people that are close to you, how you get when you drop and how you get when you're really high so that they can help you if they have to step in. Yeah. So it's, is it kind of like, uh, you have to treat it as those who have an epi? pen like you have to have it with you all the time is it similar to that yes um i don't carry it around with me 24 7 i do have the injection with me at my house and i just keep it in the fridge and just because it needs to be refrigerated so it's kind of like inconvenient sometimes to be carrying it with you 24 7 but they did come out with the new version that's like inhaler type of thing so you just like puff it into someone's mouth and they can come back or out of that like faint spell that they went into but i do not have that one a lot of it also has to do with insurance too and like what your insurance accepts so it kind of gets crazy with diabetes sometimes because there's just so much supplies that you need yeah yeah i mean there's been a lot of instances where people I have heard are sharing insulin um, with their family members and doing lots of crazy things to try and get what they need because um, they're unable to, to get what they need to manage their diabetes. Yeah. So that's a big thing. I think that, that, um, 
you know, people have to go through that nobody really knows about who's not going through it or doesn't know someone who's going through that. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really sad. I know, like, I have seen many stories of people saying that they had to, you know, limit the amount of insulin they were giving their bodies, even though they needed more, they couldn't give themselves like the full amount because like if they did, they're going to run out and they couldn't afford more. It's, it's quite expensive, yeah. honestly. Yeah, I know that um, the healthcare system, they're trying to figure out ways to make it more accessible for for everyone and anyone because it's like with any other condition no one is necessarily immune anyone can go through anything um no matter your ethnicity or financial situation you can anyone's susceptible to anything and so they're trying to change things up and uh, figure out a way to make it more accessible yeah i know um i think it's in colorado already there has been a law that they put a cap to it and it it was passed and i believe the cap is like between 30 to 50 dollars per vial of insulin um and then just to give you guys perspective on that i use about three vials a month so you know if we're talking mm-hmm. about the lower end of that that's 90 dollars a month right there on just insulin yeah so that's a big thing that i think needs more awareness but like i said a lot of people who you know aren't going to that aren't going through that they just you know, they have no idea and it's not necessarily their fault, but it's definitely something that needs more attention. Yes, for sure. The next question that um, somebody had asked is, if I have type 2 diabetes, can I stop taking diabetes medication if I'm able to control my carbohydrate intake? Okay. So this is something I do not recommend you try to experiment on your own. And I highly recommend you speak with your doctor about this and or find a registered dietitian to possibly help you with this. These are the reasons why I want to become a registered dietitian, but it is possible to, and I'm going to be very careful and huge disclaimer. I just want to say that like, I am telling you it might be possible, but you really, really need to work with a registered dietitian or a doctor when you're doing this because it can be very dangerous um, if you start experimenting by doing this. And, you know, we just talked about DKA. You can fall into DKA by skipping your medication or trying to control your carb intake and then not really knowing if you're type two, if you're not really checking your blood glucose a lot, how it, how it's being affected when you're not taking your medication. Now, right. You would have to be very closely monitored by a medical professional. Yes. Very closely monitored. I, I do believe that it's possible if you do incorporate some lifestyle changes. I believe it's possible if you um, incorporate some exercise and have a better control of your diet and in, like increase your fiber, increase your protein intake, that you might be able to control your diabetes better and you might be able to slowly come off on how much medication you take. But again, it's not just, you know, saying, okay, well, I'm going to only eat 30 carbs per meal and think that that's going to solve the problem. You know, this is very right. individualized and very specific to each person. So again, I highly, highly suggest you work with a registered dietitian. Thank you for answering that that way. <laughs> the disclaimer is very important. We are answering these questions for information purposes only and not for <laughs> direct no. personalized me- uh, medical advice. Okay. So the next question is, can you get rid of insulin resistance? This is another good one. Um, it, Yes, again, I think you definitely can, but you you really have to modify your lifestyle once again and 
it just depends on how, how insulin resistant you are. Um, you know, a lot of people, for example, myself, I, I had a little time when I was like probably in high school where I was more independent, where I wasn't so on top of my diabetes. And, um, because of that, you know, I was running more on the higher ends of my blood glucose. And when you run more on the higher side, you can become insulin resistant because you're pumping, you're making your body or you're giving yourself so much more insulin to start covering for like the lack of, um, better management. Right. So, but you can, you know, come down from that as long as you incorporate exercise. That's a huge thing. I think for diabetics, like having at least like, you know, going on a walk, finding what you like to do. It doesn't have to be, oh my gosh, I'm going to force myself to run 30 minutes. Like not at all. It's just any type of movement that you can add to your body that you enjoy and at least doing it for 30 minutes that helps your blood sugars tremendously. It goes a long way. So that can help lower that insulin resistance as well as being more mindful of what you eat and making sure you're having a balanced meal. I think that's like, I mean, I've said this like five times during this podcast, but I feel like that's like the number one thing, incorporating a little bit of everything to your diet. Yeah. Like, I mean, we, we're probably so annoying to like saying balanced meal, balanced meal. And um, if you're not sure what a balanced meal is, we have a whole episode on that. I believe it was episode two. Yeah. Um, And so it's really like, this just proves, uh, further proves that it's encouraged for everyone, regardless of your medical condition or health status, incorporating balance and finding that uh, routine with, with your, with your eating um, and your physical activity habits is, is really important and, and encouraged for everyone. Okay. So there's another question. Um, and it is, what is the relationship between diabetes and heart disease and how can you prevent it? Okay. This is a really good one because, um, a lot of times you hear diabetes and then you start thinking like that person can develop many other diseases, right? Like you can go into kidney failure. You can go into having problems with your nervous system. Heart disease is a really, really big one. So that happens over time. If you don't take care of your blood glucose and you, you know, have constantly high blood sugar level, what happens is that that high blood sugar level can then damage the arteries in your bloodstream. With that being said, that, that ends up leading into heart disease and heart disease. Again, with diabetes, you just have to continue to make sure you are having a healthy and following a healthy lifestyle, which includes eating a balanced meal (laughs) and (laughs) again, eating a balanced meal and incorporating exercise and making sure you're taking care of yourself in regards to checking your blood sugar, staying on top of it. I know it gets repetitive. It can get really aggravating at times, but it's like so, so, so important to do it, like, especially when you're younger. So when you're older, these things don't come up. Yeah. And, and um, like Jenny was saying, this, this happens most often when your blood sugar is uncontrolled. So if you're not taking your medication properly, like we have two extremes, there's people who are like anti-medication and they want to just do everything with nutrition. And so if they're not, uh, again, not doing this while being closely monitored by a medical professional, things can get out of hand. Their blood glucose levels can become a bit out of control without their knowledge. And this can pose a threat to their health. 
the same thing applies to the other end of the spectrum of people who think that their medication removes their diabetes and that they can eat whatever the heck they want and they're just stuffing their face with cake and like cookies all day long and they're like I'm just gonna take my metformin and call it a day or something or like yeah a lot of insulin or two you know so I mean, you can't, you really, really just have to be so careful and just understand that whatever condition you have or don't have, you have to be in tune with your body. And um, we can't pretend like medication cures us completely of whatever it is we're going through. And we can't also pretend that we can go completely off of it on our own without a medical professional guiding us. And so just just try to be careful because that uncontrolled blood sugar is what causes the other diseases that are associated with individuals who have diabetes. Um, So you're not doomed to heart disease just because you may have a a diagnosis of diabetes. There is a way to prevent that. And and it's really all about just making sure that you're following the instructions, you're visiting your doctor regularly, and you're keeping track of of the patterns. Yes, yes, for sure. Keeping track of the patterns. Um, I always suggest that if you are a little bit lost and you're not sure like why you're having high blood glucose maybe during certain after certain meals or at certain times of the day that you just track it for like a week, see like what's going on and notify your doctor, notify a registered dietitian and see how they can help you to lower it back down. All right. And so um Coming up to the last few questions, someone asked, what does a day in the life of a diabetic look like? I just feel like my day is very much like everyone else's, but just with a couple of different steps maybe having to be taken. For example, I wake up, I have to automatically check my blood glucose, just make sure what it is, see that it's okay. It's not okay. Then it's not the end of the world. I just, you know, give myself some insulin to just make sure like, it levels out. And then I go about having my breakfast. Um, Again, at that time, I'll again, add more insulin to cover the carbs eaten at breakfast. I don't usually snack in the morning. I don't usually get hungry between breakfast and lunch. But if I did, I am more than welcome to have a snack that doesn't I feel like sometimes people are like, oh, you're not allowed to have like snacks, or you're only allowed to eat like certain meals a day. And that's not the case. Um, You can most definitely have a snack. And then lunch, it's the same thing. I check my blood glucose again before I have lunch just to make sure it's on target. And then I will add my carbs to my pump based on what I ate. Then I usually do have a snack between lunch and dinner because I usually have like a later dinner. And with snacks, I know people are like, oh, what do you snack as a diabetic? Um, I kind of just snack what I'm craving, <laughs> but I am so like, I love things I can like dip. So like chips and salsa or like carrots and hummus or yes. um, things like that. But I think the number one thing when it comes to snack is having a carb and a protein, right? So like mixing those, or those type of things together will better help you manage or control your blood glucose. And then when it comes to dinner, it's almost the repeat of the other two. Check your blood sugar, then eat your dinner and put the carbs for what you ate. And I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I forget to do that, guys. I'm not perfect. And then later I'm like, why do I feel funny? And I'm like, oh my God, (laughs) I forgot to add the carbs for dinner. But it's not that in the world. I just you know, check my blood sugar, see what it is. And then just, you know, add the insulin according to 
what my blood sugar is. There is like a little, so you're probably like, what do you mean? When you check your blood sugar, the number it gives you, there's like a conversion of how much insulin to give yourself based on that to bring it back down to like a normal level. Between all that, some type of physical activity, whether it's like walk my dog for like a little bit extra or follow like a YouTube workout or right now, especially because that's all I can do. (laughs) Or like back when gyms were open, I kind of made it a habit to try to go to the gym more and get in a workout or something. But I feel like in order for me to really have better control of my diabetes, I I prioritize getting some type of movement in every day. Yeah. Um, It can be as simple as uh, if you have a dog um, or if you go for a walk, going for a little bit of a longer walk than normal, doing some something simple at home. Um, I always joke and say, you don't have to be a crazy CrossFit person and like <laughs> climb the it's ropes true, and throw the tires Let's and stuff. Tire. Like people think people are like physical activity. Oh no, I have to set foot into a gym. You don't. You don't. <laughs> it yeah, could be simple. Yeah, yeah, no. yeah. And if you're at zero, going to 1% is uh, a step further. And so just remember that. Don't be discouraged. Don't think you have to go from zero to 100. Oh yeah, no, for sure. It's trying things. It doesn't have to be that. I feel like, yeah, like you're right. Like people think like automatically like workout, that means weights or workout. That means cardio run. I hate cardio. I hate running, but it doesn't, (laughs) it doesn't have to be those things. It can be something super simple, like a Zumba class. Yeah. Put on some music and like dance with the dance around or something yeah. like that. It's just literally getting up and not being seated for just right. 30 minutes. Right. Even standing. You've seen maybe those uh, office desks that they're changing that you can elevate. So you stand while you're doing your work for a certain period of time as opposed to sitting while working. Even standing in, in place of sitting has benefits towards your overall health. And so just have compassion on yourself and you can take the proper steps and ease yourself into your new, your new habits. Yeah. I just want to ask one more thing. You mentioned in your snacking, having, let's say a carb and a protein or a carb and a fat. So for someone who grabs an apple just by habit uh, to have a snack or a banana, would you say it is more beneficial to grab an apple with, let's say peanut butter? Oh yeah. Definitely. Not only do I think that snack is going to be more filling for you, it's not going to just be like, okay, let me eat this apple um, because it's quick, easy. Well, yes, it is. But then sometimes it doesn't fill you up. And then like an hour later, you're like, "Mm, I want to eat. And that's (laughs) fine. That's absolutely normal. But I dips. So like me, apples and nut butter are like one of my favorites. I just, I love the taste of it. Um, I think it helps me be fuller longer and it also um, balances my blood sugar a lot better. So I just highly recommend it. But I think that, I mean, it doesn't even have to be like that. You could definitely do, um, you know, grab an apple and a couple of slices of cheese or something like that and mix those two and it works. It's right. It balances your blood sugar, keeps you happy and satisfied to your next meal. Right, exactly. And like if you um, have the habit of grabbing crackers, let's say like you can grab crackers and cheese or crackers and some sort of nut butter and and just start thinking things like that. You don't have to totally revamp your snack situation. Like you can have things that you already have in the house that you would normally grab. But what can I add to this to make sure that I'm not just getting a carbohydrate on its own, but also getting um, a fat or a protein as well. Okay, so the final question is, what is one thing 
all diabetics should know. I think the main takeaway is that you do not have to follow a rigid, a rigid diet. A lot of times we think we do because that's how we're initially taught, but you do not. You can manage your blood sugar and take away from the restrictiveness of a rigid diet if you really just get more in tune with your body. And really, at first, it might be a lot of experimenting. You might have you know, a couple of highs back to back, but you, you don't allow that to make you feel like you're a bad diabetic or that you know, that's not a good option for you. You just take those numbers and those readings and, and you learn from them. Okay, so what did I eat? What can I do different next time? Maybe it's because I only had only a carb and nothing else with it. Or maybe it's because I had too much of something and I didn't calculate my carbs right. Like it's just all kind of an experiment and uh, every day is a learning day. And the more you practice with it, the more you will get to know yourself and get to know what works for you. But you can definitely live a normal life, a normal, healthy life. Um, I think when I was more younger, I used to be afraid of like, oh my gosh, like my life is not going to be normal. I'm going to have like a shorter life because so much of what you hear is about the complications that comes with diabetes. But I think the sooner you just switch it, you switch your mindset to view it more as, okay, what can I do to make sure like every day I'm doing the best I can as a diabetic and I'm taking care of me. You will no longer worry about the possibilities of the future, but more focus on how you feel every day. Thank you, Jenny, for sharing uh, so much of your own personal story and so much valuable information that um, is not necessarily uh, readily available to many people who have a family member who's diabetic or maybe they are um, experiencing diabetes themselves. And so thank you so much for all of this information. Um, Again, Jenny is one of the brunchers and she is a type one diabetic and she's a student dietitian. Um, And so your information is greatly appreciated. And um, thank you so very much. We just wanna remind you guys, you can find us on Instagram and our Instagrams are Jen Nutrition, Nutrition by Stace and Blondtrition. So we encourage you to um, ask us listener questions, give us ideas, and just let us know what it is that you would like to know regarding nutrition, uh, health, fitness, body image issues, whatever it is you'd like to know. We would absolutely love to answer your questions. So thank you for joining us on episode four, and we will see you next time. Bye, guys.